Today's read from the Browder File, Survival Strategies for Africans in America, 13 Steps to Freedom by Anthony T. Browder. Every relationship between forces in the universe is affected by the relative power of the opposing forces. When these forces are equal, a state of balance or harmony is established. Growth and forward movement can easily occur in this environment. An imbalance is created when one or more forces are overpowered by another. This leads to stagnation or regression. Therefore, power must be controlled for balance to be maintained and progress to occur. Knowledge is power. When both are used in tandem, they will forever control the destiny of those who lack one or the other. To this end, if you seek knowledge, you must also control the power that accompanies it. Step four, information is power, but power is nothing without control. If we are fortunate, we should have learned early in life that knowledge or information is power. As we've learned in the previous step, information, knowledge, words, and perceptions that is used inappropriately greatly minimizes our base of power. In our quest to acquire knowledge, we must be aware of the sources available to us. We must determine which sources are most valuable. This is a skill that is usually cultivated over time. To this end, experience is the best teacher. Each experience must be carefully evaluated to extract the lessons it would have us learn. In my ongoing quest to understand the relationship between knowledge, power, and control, I have found two seemingly unrelated examples which illustrate and reinforce this step. They involve Carl Lewis and Santa Claus. Carl Lewis, the Olympic track star, is featured in an advertising campaign that was developed for Pirelli, the Italian auto tire manufacturer. Themes of power and control are embodied in each advertisement, and throughout the ads, Lewis is depicted as the personification of the product, the Pirelli tire. In each ad, Lewis wears a running suit that is imprinted with a tire tread design, and he performs impossible feats that dramatize how well the tire and your vehicle will perform under challenging circumstances. The tagline which accompanies each ad is, power is nothing without control. In one ad, Lewis is shown running barefoot on a body of water. The copy beneath his feet reads, Pirelli tires handle water in ways you've never imagined, which suggests that their product will prevent your car from hydroplaning, skidding on wet surfaces. Similar ads have run in numerous publications and television commercials throughout the country. On a visit to England several years ago, 
I was shocked to see a Pirelli advertisement with Carl Lewis that had never appeared in the United States on billboards throughout the British countryside was a photograph of Lewis in the starting position wearing red high-heeled shoes. Above his head in bright red letters were the words, power is nothing without control, and beneath his feet was written, if you're going to drive, drive Pirelli. The inference was obvious. Even the best high-performance vehicle will perform poorly with the incorrect tires or shoes, but the depiction of Lewis in high-heeled shoes with his butt raised up in the air did more than just raise eyebrows. Upon further investigation, I discovered that Pirelli made a conscious decision not to run that ad in the United States for fear of offending African Americans who might possibly decide to boycott their products. So, to minimize this likelihood, the ad, which was deemed too controversial, ran only in countries where people of African descent had little economic and political influence. An analysis of this ad and the entire campaign has great significance for advertisers and people of African descent. It teaches us that, one, Africans in Europe have not amassed the economic power to influence the way they are depicted in the media. Two, Africans in America are major consumers whom advertisers must be careful not to offend. Three, the power of economics, the power of a vehicle, the power of advertising, and the power of knowledge mean nothing if it cannot be controlled for your benefit. Since knowledge determines a group's economic, social, and political strength, its importance must be understood and controlled if that group is to be empowered is to compete with and live harmoniously with other groups. Knowledge is the key to the survival of any group and it means little if you do not possess the wisdom to utilize it correctly. Information is essential if a person or group is to determine how to act in its own best interest. The accumulation of carefully analyzed and evaluated information establishes a core of knowledge that can develop an even stronger power base. Within the human body, the brain, serves as the power base that enables us to process information. It determines the extent of our knowledge. Throughout our lives, we have been told that the average person uses less than 10% of their brain. We have accepted this mental limitation without questioning its deeper significance. 
Let us consider the statement in the context of an employer-employee relationship. If you owned a company and had employees who worked only 10% of the time and your competitor had employees who performed at 12% efficiency, that 2% difference would translate into a tremendous profit margin for your competitor. If our brains work for us, then why should we be satisfied with a maximum output of 10%? Should not we desire more of ourselves? How could we ever expect to successfully compete against others who have learned to utilize 12, 15, 20% or more of their mental capacity? The answers to this dilemma are quite simple and do not require an expenditure of considerable time or money. Educators and psychologists have long known about a process by which the average person can increase their brain power. This can actually be achieved by developing one's mental faculties through the application of cognitive or higher order thinking skills. Thinking enables us to understand what we read, hear, and see. Cognition is the act of clearly knowing or perceiving all data that enters the mind and it establishes a profound sense of ease or freedom. Cognition represents a hierarchical thought process that involves three primary thinking skills, the literal, the inferential, and the evaluative. Literal skills help you understand the basic meaning of things. Inferential skills teach you to read between the lines and to reason or infer a hidden truth. Evaluative skills help you formulate opinions and make intelligent decisions after analyzing all available data. I can best illustrate this developmental process by drawing on my own personal experiences and sharing a story that I'm sure you can relate to. As a child growing up in Chicago, I was taught to believe in the myth or lie about a man named Santa Claus. I was introduced to this character by family members who loved me and thought it was a harmless fantasy. They told me if I were good, this fat, bearded man would bring me any gifts I desired on Christmas Eve. My belief in this lie allowed me to be manipulated by family members throughout the year because I had interpreted their stories of Santa Claus literally. I was told that if I didn't take out the garbage, Santa Claus would not bring me a bicycle. Or if I misbehaved in any way, Santa Claus would not stop at my house. Young minds can be easily manipulated and mine was no exception. As I grew older and reached the inferential stage of development, I began to read between the lines and raised questions about this stranger who was said to be constantly monitoring my behavior. 
I went to the adults in my family with my concerns. I asked them, how is it possible for Santa to go to every house in the world on the same night? The dilemma that this issue poses for adults is that once they tell a lie, they must tell a bigger lie to cover up the previous one, and parents wonder where children develop the habit of lying. They learn from the masters. In any event, I was told that Santa had helpers to deliver the other children's gifts, but that he was coming to our house personally. When I was a little older and realized that we lived in an apartment building without a chimney, I asked my dad, how is it possible for Santa Claus to bring me my gifts if we don't have a chimney? I received a very creative response. I was told Santa Claus has magic. He'll land on the roof of the apartment with his flying reindeer. He'll snap his fingers and a chimney will appear magically. He'll go down the chimney and leave your gifts and then go back up the chimney. Snap his fingers again and the chimney will disappear. He'll then fly off to the next house. I believed all of these lies because the people who introduced me to them and reinforced them over the years were people whom I trusted and loved. It was only after I became older and reached the evaluative level of thought that I re-evaluated the story of Santa Claus in an attempt to understand its ramifications on my life. Once I knew that Santa Claus was a myth, I began to realize that all of the presents that I had received over the years were given to me by my mother and father, grandparents, aunts, uncles, and assorted relatives. They were the real Santa Claus. I then asked myself, why would they give someone else credit for gifts that they purchased with their hard-earned cash? The only satisfying answer I received was that they were passing on the same stories that had been passed on to them. They were fed lies as children, which they in turn fed to their children. As a parent, I made a commitment to my daughter and any future grandchildren that the lie and the book would both stop with me. I explained to my daughter the history of the Santa Claus myth and why we do not celebrate it. She has responded well to the truth. Santa Claus was originally known as Saint Nicholas by the first Dutch settlers in America. The story was embellished by English settlers who referred to St. Nicholas as Santa Claus over the years. St. Nick's appearance continued to evolve, and the image of Santa that we've learned to know and love first appeared in 1863. Currently, many blacks have attempted to assimilate Santa Claus into black culture by portraying him as a person of African ancestry. Africans do not live in the North Pole and it makes no sense to put a black face on a white lie and sell it to our own children. The moral of this story is that if we've been misinformed in the past, we will probably misinform others in the future unless we consciously break the cycle of misinformation. If we are willing to teach our children to cope with reality, we will soon discover that they are capable of handling the truth with less difficulty than we would imagine. We, African Americans, must increase our brain power 
by developing our cognitive skills. This process begins by re-examining all information that has been presented to us and evaluating it based on our own personal and cultural experiences, our own histories, and our own myths. Myths are essential because they help us determine our own particular way of relating to our world and the people in it. This process teaches us to define our own realities and not be unduly influenced by the realities and myths of others. The human brain is a muscle which must be exercised by cognitively processing information at the evaluative level. I'm going to repeat that. The human brain is a muscle which must be exercised by cognitively processing information at the evaluative level. Only then will we be prepared to proceed to the fifth step in our program. Define the following holidays. Look for any relationships that may exist between them and evaluate their overall significance in the lives of African Americans. One, Chinese New Year. Two, Juneteenth. Three, Independence Day. Four, Rosh Hashanah. Five, Ramadan. Six, Columbus Day. Seven, Thanksgiving Day. Eight, Kwanzaa. And the references and suggested readings, author, Reverend Isha Kamusa Barashango, title, African People and European Holidays, A Mental Genocide, Silver Spring, Maryland, Dynasty Publishing Company, 1983. Author, Sheikh Anta title, The African Origin of Civilization, Myth or Reality, Westport, Connecticut, Lawrence Hill and Company, 1974, and Frederick Douglass's Frederick speech, 4th of July oration, a speech delivered on July 4th, 1852 in Rochester, New York, 